Good day, my friends, and welcome to episode six of Morals Podcast. Today we have Rixel. That's me. Hi, right, welcome to the um, podcast. Thank um, you. Um, anything you want to say about yourself? Um, what do you do on your YouTube channel? Anything you want to say to the viewers? Well, I'm what you would call a YouTube Let's Player, and I'm also an artist, so expect to see art stuff and video game stuff on my channel. Oh, cool. So do you kind of do, like, speed art? Yeah, speed paints or, like, guides, stuff like that I'm looking to do. Mostly stuff with my voice and commentary just so it, it, you know, it fits in with the channel more. Oh, okay. That's cool. So you do, like, let's play, like, some gaming. You do, like, some speed art. (laughs) And then you do, like, some, like, like, commentary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm also planning to do more general gaming stuff, like top tens or game reviews, but that's that's for the future, not right now. All right, that's cool. Awesome. So let's go ahead and start with the first topic of the podcast. We're going to be talking about what makes a good video game character. Like, what are the different traits that classifies like a video game character to be like interesting, or I guess people could like relate to or be inspired by. Yeah, just something that people just grasp onto, like, that right there is my favorite character type of thing. Right. So do you have any um, video game characters you want to talk about? Uh, when people talk about, like, good video game character design, a lot of people bring up Sonic the Hedgehog, and, like, he's sort of like a furry type character design, and that gets made fun of a lot, but Sonic the Hedgehog is still a very good character design. People say that his character design is what brought him through surviving in the video game industry up until now. Yeah, because I know he went through, like, all different sorts of designs. Like, they're just going through, like, trial and error until they figure out, like, oh, which design works and which doesn't. Because if you look through, like, the old designs, he looks, like, kind of, like, odd, like, kind of, like, unusual. (laughs) A bit doofy, yeah. Yeah, but... And his girlfriend, Madonna. Yep, I saw those. Yeah, but at least it got to where he is today, right, basically? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's like I also think there's a there's a difference between uh like these protagonist character designs, character designs from games like League of Legends and Overwatch, where you have like a cast of characters and each of them needs to be interesting for it to work. Not like necessarily one like protagonist. There's just this group and it's cool. Yeah, like in League of Legends and Overwatch, like pretty much the characters, all of those characters, they have some sort of story or some sort of lore that goes along with them. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, pretty interesting, like, shows, like, oh, like, where they come from, like, their stories. And I've seen, like, with Overwatch, there's, like, videos out there where it talks about, like, the backstories of each of the characters. Um, one of them I saw was about Tracer. Like, she started off, I think, a space experiment. I wasn't, I'm not sure exactly. And then, like, something went wrong, and then she ended up having, like, the powers to shift around. Yeah, the little origin stories. Yeah, I find those pretty interesting. With League of Legends, they did, like, the same thing as well. They have those cinematics. As well, like with some of the characters they interact and then they fight. I think a, a good character design should be able to like transition pretty seamlessly into other media. So like Overwatch does the comics. They all do like comic type things and it just works well. So like who's your favorite Overwatch character or League character? My favorite Overwatch character, I would say Mercy. For League of Legends, I remember when I started out, like I was playing Thresh. But um, one of my favorites, I would say, is um, Sona. Uh, I haven't played Overwatch, but I already know that, like, Farrah is my favorite character. Like, anything, like, about her backstory or anything about just her in general? She's just very, like, serious-looking. I like her armor. She reminds me a lot of, uh, like, Samus Aran mixed with 
Korra from Legend of Korra and a little bit of uh, Kale from League of Legends, her Aether wing skin. Just like a lot of my favorite characters combined into one. That's why I like Farah. Oh, that's interesting that you say that she kind of relates to Korra. I was wondering about the comparison. Oh, just like the tan skin, the shortish hair. I just like that. The blue. Right. Yeah, because I remember I was watching like the original, like the Avatar, The Last Airbender, and it started out with like Aang, because he was like just frozen, and then he got found, he got discovered, and then pretty much he has to learn the four elements to defeat the Fire Lord. He has like some sort of story there. Like the more we watch the episodes of Avatar, The Last Airbender, we get to know more about Aang, basically. And that's how it is with the characters as well. Like, the more we get into the comics or, like, their lore, we get to know more about them in general. Not It's not just, like, a character that we just play in a video game. We get to know more about, like, how they are. Their past, their experience, and what got them, what got them to where they are right now. Yeah, like, their past, their, their personality. You get a lot of personality in these good characters. Like, Overwatch is, like, an organization, and then some of those heroes... They have a past together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the lore for Overwatch. It doesn't like fit into the actual game very much, but it's still cool. Then there's games like Smash Bros, where you get all these like great video game character designs, but their lore isn't really a thing in that game. I know there's like story mode, but it doesn't really like tell us much about the characters in general. I mean, they kind of assume we know the characters because the characters in Smash they just come from different sorts of video games. Yeah. They have their own lore in the games, in their respective games. Yeah. And since we're talking about their design, let's talk about game design as an art. This is another topic where I think it's good to separate like single-player games from uh, these multiplayer games like Overwatch and League of Legends. Because uh, in these single-player games, the game design can really be seen as like an art, like some experience where in these multiplayer games, a lot of the game design is just like balancing and stuff like that, mechanics, and the art comes in with the character designs and with just all these other designs. And yeah, kind of like what you said, like in single player, I could think of some examples, like for example, um, like Skyrim, right? Like you just play as your own character and then it's like open world. So you can see like the mountains, the snow and all these different places you can go to. It turns from day to night. It just makes the game feel more realistic. Mm Mm-hmm. Some games aren't that realistic. They're more stylized, and that's the same way with art. You've got the realism abstract. I don't know, just Mario, I guess. you got <laughs> all these blocks, floating mushrooms. I don't really know. I think game design is as much of an art form as movies, and that's apparent in like games like Metal Gear Solid 1, for instance, where it's very cinematic, and it guides you through things seamlessly. Right, and then, like, how game design started, it kind of started out with, like, retro games, like, indie games, or, like, pixelated stuff. They have, like, different, like, pixels, like, which, like, forms the game. Yeah, yeah that's, but... that's another thing I was thinking about. Um, You got these pixel games, but at the same time, like, those pixels aren't the character designs. It's, uh, if you buy the manual, for instance, for an NES game, you'll probably see the official, like, artwork for Link. And he doesn't really look like the blob of pixels he is in the game. You know, he's got a character design there. If you play like any like Legend of Zelda games on a Game Boy or something, you have, I guess, a specific pixel or like square which represents the character. It, it stays on that spot, like on the center of your screen, while it just moves around to like different yeah. areas. 
same thing with the old Pokemon games. You just have this little area as the character, you just walk around and you just stay in that area until like you hit a wall, and then you just go off the center. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's like one of the first things I learned how to like program in a DS programming language. Uh, trying to make a camera in that game work is just it's pretty difficult. Where like you have your character in the center, and then if you like hit a wall, <laughs> having to like make it go off center, that was something. Yeah, I see what you mean. And then, like you said, with camera angles and such, that kind of correlates to like the game design because I guess it lets the player experience more of the game. I would say. Oh yeah, yeah. That's another thing. Uh, sometimes uh, giving like the player like freedom to like move the camera. Sometimes that'll like mess with you know the game designer's vision or whatever for their art. If you want the player to be looking at something, but you give them freedom to move the camera, they might not see that. So. Yeah, kind of like what you said back with like single-player games. But then there's also like, stuff like cutscenes where you can't really necessarily move the, your camera. I don't know if some other games you could, but for the most part, cutscenes, they would just focus more on character interactions in a way, yeah. which kind of like goes back to like making a good video game character, like how they interact with other characters and that kind of like forms the story. I mean, besides the art, the art correlates to like all these other things, like all these other subcategories that influence the art in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people don't really like uh, long cutscenes in single-player games. They feel like it takes away control from them, but at the same time, it gives control to the creator, the artist. I, I kind of see what what you mean. Depends on the cutscene, because because um, I know when like characters interact they would kind of have more focus on the character design compared to, like, their surroundings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. It just varies. It does. Different games do it differently. Like, League of Legends, it's not... League of Legends and Overwatch, there aren't cutscenes interrupting your gameplay. It's, uh, you know, stuff that you seek out on your own because you like the characters. Yeah, that's kind of like how I like, like, when you put the lore and stuff like that on YouTube for people who are actually interested in learning more about the character besides like their design. That's kind of like an extra thing. People that want to know more than just playing the game. and Yeah, the characters, their details are there for you to explore if you want to. But the gameplay is still just the gameplay by itself. And that's also why I kind of feel that with cutscenes, there's some that you can't really skip because the people who make the games, they want the players to experience more of, of the design. Like the surroundings mm-hmm. of the characters. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, anything you else want to say about gate design? Like, why would it be considered an art? I think that's what we could do before we head on to the next topic. Uh, game design is considered an art because it is an experience that someone <laughs> can experience. I don't know if there's a better way you can put that. There probably is. But I don't know. With art, like a traditional painting, you've got this composition. And the goal of the artist is to, like, gracefully move the viewer's eye from, like, various points of the painting. And uh, it's sort of the same way with a video game. You sort of guide the player through this experience. Yeah, I agree. Something I forgot to mention is that with game design, it also correlates to, like, animations as well. So besides, like, having a good game design, it has to be some sort of animations that have the character move around or like having the character speak 
yeah. Yeah, with the voice it's acting as well. Alive. Yeah, kind of like oh, makes the the art, the gaming design as the art more realistic. Yep. They can't just be just static figures there. That's not really relatable. Right, exactly. That. It has to be like more than just like just having a good character design. It has to be more to it. That's kind of like how I feel as a good video game character. Besides that, it has to be a story. What makes them unique compared to like any other typical video game character or protagonist or antagonist or whatever. Yeah, now that I think about it, I, a voice actually goes a really long way for me. I'm always... uh. Like with May, I didn't think I really liked that character that much until I heard her voice, and now she's just adorable. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned something earlier about, um, I guess the programming game. So I guess that's could also be something we could talk about, like how programming has an influence towards making a video game. Oh yeah, there's definitely a difference between like the game programmer and the artist when it comes to games, and I've tried to do both in the past. I think I still want to do programming, but I'm not really sure. So programming. Uh, a lot of early video games were sort of restricted by the programming and like just the, the hardware itself. And a lot of those ideas that came from those restrictions are still in place today. Yeah, like I don't remember like which programming languages kinda like started out the gaming, but I just know about like I guess the more recent ones like Java or like C or some other ones out there <laughs> i'm not really sure what they programmed in back in nes days but yeah yeah like one game i could think of is um runescape it ran on java they have to have like all different sorts of code in case we don't know what it is it's like a i guess an mmo kind of game oh yeah like, i know of runescape like having your own character that has to be like code to just move the character around like make sure it can go to certain places a code to like attack monsters or different people the different damage calculations depending on their weapons or their armor, such. The RNG aspect of that. Yeah, yeah, the RNG thing, that's another thing. Like, sometimes people get, like, triggered when, like, stuff is, like, RNG. Like, oh, oh it takes... Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, like, a different possibility of getting, like, a specific item for, like, killing a certain monster. A lot more goes into that game, too, because it's multiplayer. There's all these, like, net codes and stuff, making sure you can, like be in the same world and stuff as different people. It's insane how much programming goes into stuff. Yeah, like there's like a lot of different servers that players can go in. There'll be like one world will be like a lot of people and another world with like not so many. And then there's like specific worlds based on like which specific activity like you want to do in the game. Yeah, yeah. That would not be a game that I would attempt to program. Not by myself. Do you know how many people worked on like old school RuneScape back in the day? Like, what? How big the team was? No, I don't recall. That's actually an interesting. I'll have to look that up later. Want to see how many people it took to make that? Yeah, probably a few, or I don't know exactly. But of course, it's gonna take more yeah. than one person to program a game. There are a few uh, single solo indie devs that I know of. Have you ever heard of the game Cave Story? Yeah, I've heard of it. It was programmed by one guy in about five years, and that is pretty inspiring to me. Yeah, because I realized, because I, I know I've done programming myself, and I realized it, it does take like a lot of time to um, to program a game. That's, you have to have like that motivation, the patience, and the dedication to have all this code for a video game. It might be some cases where the code may not work 100%, 
you might find a bug. You have to like fix that immediately. <laughs> yeah. I've done a bit of programming and there are just times where I just work for hours and then a bug comes in, it breaks everything I've ever done and I'm not even sure how to fix it. It's it's stressful. It's a stressful time. Which programming languages do you have some experience with? I have the most experience with uh, BASIC. There's this DS program called Petite Computer that uses Smile Basic. It has a 3DS app that uses the same thing, but a little bit upgraded. And that's what I used when I was younger and just learning how to do that stuff. But like now I use uh, Java. Oh, okay. My first programming language in college was um, Python. And at the time I had like no programming experience. So I kind of like struggled a lot with it. And then later on, I tried um, Visual Basic. You have like a window and you could have buttons on the window that have code associated with it. And then I've done some Java and C++. I think I've done more of um, C++ than Java. Do you feel like making a program on a PC game or like a console game would be different than, let's say, making code for a game that you would play on your mobile device, like a cell phone or on a tablet or on a DS or anything like that? I I completely forgot about this, but it ties into this. Uh, I also learned a bit of... uh... Objective-C, the Apple programming language, and Swift, which is like the replacement, I guess. And uh, from what I've seen, from what I've attempted, uh, mobile device and like tablets, their programming is more like drag and drop based, it seems, where you like program an object and then you sort of drag and drop it onto the screen. I'm not really sure. I haven't gone in depth into that. But yeah, I think it'd definitely be a bit different. Yeah, I haven't really looked into like programming for like a mobile app or a mobile game. With uh, the DS, uh, there's a touchscreen on that. And basically, it's just uh, map the coordinates onto the touchscreen. And if it's touching those points in the coordinate, then it's like a button press, basically. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. With uh, things like Java, I'm pretty sure it'd be the same code, just uh, with the virtual machine on a mobile device. You just have to program in the different touchscreen controls. Right, yeah, there'll be like different touchscreen controls for if you use a keyboard or if you use like a, I guess, a gamepad or anything like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Going back into programming is probably going to be a project that I do this summer. I don't know if I'll actually do anything, but... Oh, what kind of project are you thinking of doing? Just just anything, anything. Like some, maybe I'll start a game or something. I can just make all the game assets by myself and post it onto Game Jolt or something, get some feedback maybe. And what was the name of the website you just said? You want to talk a oh, little ga- bit about it? Game Jolt, it is a, think of it as Steam, but for more indie games, and you can get most of them for free. Okay, so it would be like, I guess for people to like test out the game and then just give feedback on it? Or they can just post their full indie game and you know just have it out there. Oh, okay, that's that's pretty interesting. It's a cool community. You've got like chats there and it's a good place to like get in contact with game devs if you're a creator, if you're a video creator. Okay, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that website. I guess that'll be a place for other people to check out indie games that are like mm-hmm. in development and such. And then some of them are finished, but Yeah, and that's what they have for Steam too. They have like early access games and then it'll be like yeah, Steam yeah. Greenlight. Where people can mm-hmm. like vote like, which games they want to see. Mm-hmm. All right, so I mentioned earlier about 
games on mobile devices, but let's go ahead and talk about is technology distracting us from the real world? Like, are we more into the the virtual world or something like that? Yeah, I see. Is technology distracting us from real life? Well, there's probably like a spectrum of uh, where real life would be like you walk outside and you lay down on the grass and you stare directly at this one blade. Of, that's real life, 100%. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got, I don't know, just staring at a screen, looking at... I don't know, something. Yeah, if you're just like, mm -hmm. (laughs) sorry. That's technology. And uh, I guess it really depends on where you put the line between those two. And sometimes it can be a bit blurry. Like for me, if I go to a concert, I'll be, you know, paying attention to my real life surroundings, but I'll pull out my phone and like send a Snapchat. And that's sort of an extension to real life and not really a distraction, I guess, from what I see it. I don't really know. What are your thoughts? Um, I feel like it can go both ways. Kind of like what you said with Snapchat or Instagram or something like that. It could be an extension to real life because you're sharing your experience with other people. Or if you're just like recording a video and you're just putting it on YouTube. I can kind of see like what you're saying with that. One way to look at it. And there's also another way, I guess, for some people. Like there will be outdoors and then they'll be like on their phone all the time, not really oh, yeah. aware of their surroundings. Sometimes people get in an accident, like if they're using their phone while driving or even crossing the street, and like you're just getting distracted there, being like sucked into the virtual world. You're not really much aware with your surroundings. You might get hurt or injured or might even get killed. Yeah, that that's an issue. That's uh, that was uh. Do you remember Pokemon Go? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Pokemon Go is definitely uh, <laughs> one of those distractions. Yeah, I remember when that game came out July 6, 2016. So it's getting yeah. close to a year. It's almost a year since that game came out. Like, on one end, it's like, yeah, it's distracting us from real life. But at the same time, I've never seen so many people just outside exploring, even though they were probably looking at their screen most of it. It was still just people are outside. They're exploring their towns, they're walking places. I think it's sort of a double-edged sword type of thing. Yeah, I remember I was at the park, I was just walking around. That was at the time I was playing Pokemon Go. I saw like all sorts of people playing Pokemon Go. At first, I thought it was just a distraction, but then again, it could also be looked as a way of bringing people together. I went to a big sculpture park, and the way Pokemon Go is, most sculptures are stops. So there's this big sculpture park, and then there are just tons of people, just a variety of different people. You've got people on hoverboards, you've got people vaping, you've got, you know. Got the segways. <laughs> the segways, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're all just wearing their Pokemon backpacks. They're just hanging out, and it's just cool. I've, I've never had a reason to go to, like, a sculpture park just like that. And I'm sure none of nobody else there really cares about the sculpture park. But people are just like looking at the sculptures and they're hanging out playing Pokemon and it was just a fun time. Yeah, it definitely was. It was like really popular at the time and then it kind of like died down. Yeah. So I don't really see they, much people playing it anymore. They made some updates that sort of like ruined some features and like sort of broke the game on some people's phones. Yeah, it must have been something with the code or something. <laughs> yeah. Something with the code. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, back to what we were saying earlier, 
It could be looked at to both ways. Around the 1900s or so, at the time, or even before that, there wasn't even any technology. I guess there were like other ways where people could communicate. Like they could just go visit somebody else's house or just meet up somewhere and just hang out. And then once phones came around, I mean, they have like regular telephones, which was another way eventually they communicate with other people. Once you start getting computers, once you start getting cell phones, I guess society kind of like evolved in this state where like, oh, we can almost do anything with technology. Yeah, a lot of things can be done with technology. It could create a lot of jobs for many businesses. Yeah, it just has like a lot of benefits. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just like the way technology has evolved, like open a lot of doors for different people and uh like for me, I go outside, I see just nothing but fields and fields of like crops. I don't really have much around me, but online I can do, I can experience a lot of things and like do a lot of jobs that I couldn't have. Right. Like YouTube, doing YouTube now, that's, that's something. You yeah. Like you said, more. that could be like an extension to real life. Like if you're doing like vlogs on YouTube, you're like recording yourself going to certain places or anything yeah and then you can just like watch other people's vlogs and then sort of have a secondhand experience through that sort of yeah i remember i used to do a lot of vlogs but i do it occasionally now i haven't made time to like go out more outside and just going to school i mean going to college or working yeah technology could be looked into multiple perspectives it can help us with like most of our everyday tasks but then again, we also got to remember that we live in the real world. <laughs> we don't live There's so in... much to experience right in front of you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that Tommy Wiseau video where I forget what it was for, but he's just like Tommy Wiseau from the room. He says, uh, what are you doing on computer? You're outside or something like that. It's a beautiful day. Enjoy it. And he screams and throws his computer on the ground. I love that video. <laughs> That's funny. That's a reminder that we're outside. We're supposed to experience the environment that we live in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with using technology, but we have to know where the line is drawn, like you said. Mm-hmm. Just try not to make it so blurry. Yeah. As long as you have like self-control about when and when not to use technology, like whether you have your laptop with you or your cell phone or your, your tablet anyth- yeah, or anything. Driving. Yeah. If you're driving, probably not a good idea. Probably not worth it to like see what's going on on Snapchat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can understand that's also a way for people to communicate. Like, I feel like it's easier to like talk to people like, on the internet compared to the real world. Definitely same. Which kind of goes back to the extension of the real world. I mean, that's how we meet people. Sometimes we might even get to meet those people. Oh, those yeah. Friends. And then like... From the other way, like, you meet people in real life, and then, like, you have to leave or something, but with technology, you can still talk to them from your house while they're at theirs or something. That's a very good extension. Yeah, yeah, of course. Any last words you want to say about this topic or any of the other topics? Any moral of the story that we can take out of this whole podcast? (laughs) Technology is scary, and Farah is a good character. All right. And for me, there's more towards game design. There's more different aspects of game design. This has to be animation, has to be voice acting, 
and some sort of story or lore like associates with the character to make it more interesting and less dull. Like not only do we get to play those characters, but also we get to learn more about their history. And yeah, that kind of makes them a good video game character. Programming, like you said, can be tedious, but that's how video games are created. That's how jobs are being created. And then that's how society is expanding more towards playing mobile games or PC games, console, or just using any sort of app for leisure time or important stuff. And kind of goes back to the end with technology as its instruction. It could benefit us, but we also got to know where the line is drawn. Know when to use it and when not to use technology. Like we said, we got to experience more of the real world, but we also got to use technology as an expansion of the real world, not necessarily as a virtual world that we can live in and just forget about the real world. You can't just live inside your phone all day. Exactly. And with that said, this is going to conclude episode six of Morse Podcast. I would like to thank you, Rixel, for joining me today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Anytime. If you folks enjoyed the podcast, be sure to give it a like. And if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, feel free to do so. And we'll have more episodes up more frequently during the summer. Yeah, and also the episodes are on SoundCloud as well. So if you haven't checked out the SoundCloud, be sure to do so. I will most likely just have the recent episodes up because I have a limit on how much I could upload on SoundCloud. So yeah, the newer episodes will be on the SoundCloud. Then again, all of the episodes will be on YouTube. And without said, there's more truth. Take care. Have a great day. And let the morals be with you.